Minimalists. <laughs> Hello, patrons. This is Ask the Minimalists number 30 for January 2020. Yeah, man. Got that 2020 vision, Ryan. That's right. so we usually answer your most upvoted questions for ask the minimalists but instead ryan i wanted to explore our community tab a bit because we get a lot of really great comments over at patreon.com slash the minimalists amen uh if you go there and you just click community you can leave your own comment and what happens is sometimes ryan and i will hop in we'll we'll give you a short answer but really it's for the entire community to hop in anyone who is a patreon supporter now these ask the minimalist sessions are just for our true fans and now our, our vips congratulations to the 100 vips yes the very important patrons that's right and yes that is uh you know it, the the irony is intentional there but um I think it was within two hours or so, almost all the slots filled up. And then within the first day, all 100 VIPs are there. Yeah, uh, We've been sharing some snippets from our next book, Love People Use Things. If you're interested in becoming a VIP, there is no wait list or anything like that. But usually at the beginning of each month, a couple people will drop out almost certainly. Yeah. Just be on the lookout. If someone drops out, take their spot while you can because it filled up really quick last time. Mm. Now, Ryan, I was hoping that we could dive into this community tab. And I'm just going to read some of the questions, comments. And uh, I, I, you and I have both responded to some of these on the community tab. But I thought maybe this would be a good space for us to expand on our comments and, and maybe have some dialogue around some of those Let's comments. Do it. So the first one is actually from today. Uh, Derek, Derek Depot says, hello, I just wanted to share that last month I visited St. Pete to visit some friends who live in the area. I, I introduced my friend to Bandit Coffee and she absolutely loved it. We both raved about the maple bourbon latte, <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, you know, I would argue is not coffee. They're but. killing it down there. Well, you know what I love about the, the, the folks at Bandit is that they understand that certain people like their sugary caffeinated drinks. I was I was raised on black coffee. Uh-huh. And my dad, he like ingrained it in my head. He's like, son, if you're going to add cream or sugar to your coffee, just drink hot chocolate. So like I was raised drinking black coffee. I love black coffee. Um, but yeah, some people like the sugary drinks. So instead of like snubbing those people, you know, uh, we're not purists at Bandit Coffee. We, right. we provide some delicious sugary caffeinated drinks. And I'll be honest, dude. But they're not heavily sugared. And, and it's almost yeah. it's almost like a gateway toward real coffee. Oh, absolutely. I just I actually had a sip of that maple bourbon drink that they have. Uh-huh. It's really good, man. I believe like I could totally see like I a, a piece of me is just jealous because um if I drink a sugary drink like that, it would just go straight to my thighs. <laughs> <laughs> um so Derek goes on to say, I wanted to thank you guys for introducing uh about the true taste of coffee without all the added sugar and creamer because the last 6 months I have switched to drinking black coffee and discovered a lot more about the different types of coffee and brewing methods. So, um, I, like I said, it, it is sort of a, a gateway there where if you go into Bandit, you're not going to have the caramel macchiatos and mm-hmm. all of these. It, but we have one or two options for people who are they still want the slight, uh, lightly sweetened uh, milky drink. Yeah. That is an option, but also... I think it's it's the the sneaky gateway into having you know, just delicious black coffee. Yeah. And I remember when I first started actually enjoying coffee, real coffee, mm-hmm. and understanding the nuance. It was the folks at Press in Dayton, Ohio, who who really helped me yeah. wean off of the the artificial sweeteners, the yeah. Splenda. So yeah. So uh, I I know that you used to do cream and Splenda. In fact, 
because uh, I would go to your house. You had like the Keurig. And we do right. like the Dunkin' Donuts. Terrible. And the, and the hazelnut. But it's funny, though, because you actually turned me on to like the hazelnut Dunkin' Donuts with a little <laughs> bit of Splenda and a little bit of cream. It just makes it something different. It was a dessert, basically. So what, Exactly. So what did, uh, what, uh, what did they tell you at press to make you stop drinking uh, coffee with cream and sugar? Well, the thing that happened is they, they ran out of whatever sweetener they had. And mm. so uh, the first gateway for me was, to, oh, crap, they don't have any, you know, whatever it was, Splenda or, or Stevia or whatever the sweetener was at the time. And so he's like, yeah, just try it with just milk or just cream in it. So I did, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. I, I yeah. like this, and but I think I could get used to it. Yeah. And a couple days in, I'm like, I'll just try that again and again. And eventually, I'm like, well, I'll just do it without the, why don't I do it without the milk in it? Yeah. And I did that, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And now I, I much prefer a cup of black coffee, yeah. of good black coffee right you know something from from bandit or or maybe onyx or blue bottle or any of these places that we really enjoy as opposed to the uh microwaved milkshake that is starbucks well yeah and you're i mean you're covering up the taste of the coffee and, and coffee is it's weird how we have these acquired tastes yeah um but but if i'm on the road like when we go on the road and sometimes we're driving and i need to get a cup of gas station coffee because it's been sitting there for hours, I'll put oh. some I'll put some cream in it because that actually helps settle my stomach. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I'm with you, man. I, I prefer an awesome cup of black coffee. Well, Derek, thanks for visiting uh, Bandit. Really, yes. really appreciate that. Let's see. Uh, we have Aubrey says, "How can I find the list slash lists that the Minimalists put out every year for, of their favorite music albums?" I saw it once, but I don't know how to find it again. Well, that, that's pretty simple, I, and I responded here. I just theminimalists.com slash sound. So every year since 2011, I've put out my favorite albums of, of the year. It's usually a top 10 list or top 12 list, top mm-hmm. 9 list, something like that, <laughs> with a bunch of honorable mentions as well. Yeah. And so you can find that. Also, uh, if you're looking for some books to read, I just put an essay out there called Why... What was it called, Sean? Why Did We Stop Reading? Yeah, and and really, it it was just a, a hypothesis about how everything is sucking our attention, but we can get it back. And I recommended four of my favorite books recently that that I read over the course of the last year. I read a lot more than four books this past year, but those are the four that really stood out. You can find that at theminimalists.com/slash. Did you see, reading? Did you see the statistic last year? What's that? More people went to libraries last year than to go see movies. Really? Yeah. Holy moly. I know, dude. Reading, it's making a comeback. Well, I don't know about that. Every time I go to the library, I don't see people reading. <laughs> I see them using the Wi-Fi. It was a, it's a pretty big stat, though, because that's typically not the case. More people are seeing movies than visiting the library. Yeah. But you know what? Visiting the library is the gateway to reading. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Hannah says, uh, TVs being in the heart of the home. Hey, Josh and Ryan. First and foremost, thank you for your... Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but he means that very sincerely. <laughs> it is my first day being a Patreon supporter, oh. and I get substantial value from your podcast and want to contribute. I wanted to ask what your opinion is on TVs being a significant uh, focus space in living rooms. The living room is the, quote, heart of a home, and TVs are almost always in each living space. Mm. Do you think this takes away from the space and, more importantly, unconsciously pacifies the people or guests to watch TV instead of doing more meaningful activity? Uh, well, I'll, I'll read my what I wrote here, Ryan. You tell me what you think about this sure. and how can we expand on this. I just wrote, yes, although 
TV in the living room is better than TV in the bedroom. A bed is for two things, neither of which involve channel surfing. Personally, I prefer not to have a TV at all. Unfortunately, the apartment I live in came with a TV mounted on the wall, and I find that even I, as one of the minimalists, still struggle with the tantalizing glow on the wall if I'm not careful. It sometimes prevents me from reading as much as I like because turning on the tube is easy. Of course, that which is easiest usually isn't meaningful. Mm. I'm not against TV, though. I'm opposed to pacifiers. And I think that's that's maybe the key here. Yeah. is It's a tool. Right. So what are you using it for? I mean, I had... Uh I had um, podcast Sean and Peter Rollins over, uh, and Mariah and I made dinner. It was the four of us, and we were just sitting around talking about um, different things that made us laugh, whether it's comedian or a TV show or whatever it was. And then, then I brought up this episode of the X Files that was uh, in, during the new season. That's hilarious, and I'm like, "Do you guys want to watch that?" And they were like, "Yeah, let's watch it." And we sat there and we laughed our asses off together. Yeah, and it was great. And you did that. What I like about that is it was <coughs> deliberate. So a few things I really, really enjoy. You had some rules around that, right? One is you weren't parked out in front of the TV by yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it was a communal activity. And so you got to share that experience with other with, with, with other people. Uh, the other thing I, I like about that is you can schedule that as well, where you can say, you know, every Tuesday night we're going to do a movie night together using the TV as a tool mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, I'm coming home, I'm... Gotta, I got to unwind. I guess I'll turn on the TV. And all of a sudden, it's 1230. And I'm like, oh, I should have gone to bed two hours ago. And that that used to happen to me, especially in the corporate world. I was looking for an outlet to, to veg out. And, and I found it wasn't particularly meaningful. All of a sudden, I'm just lost in the glow of the screen. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have done just about anything else with that time. Mm-hmm. The example you're giving is... I'm really happy that's how I spent that time. Mm. And I think maybe that's a really good barometer. If we were to step back after watching an hour or two hours of TV, are you able to say, I'm really happy that I allocated my time to do that? And I think much of the time, we're going to say no to that. But sometimes if we're doing it deliberately, we're going to say, yeah, that was the best use of that time. And I could feel good about it. That reminds me. What? We, we need to schedule a movie night. We should. We did the we did the Matrix trilogy. Oh, it was I'm so I, I'm actually that was not the best use of my time. <laughs> Isn't it funny <laughs> how like it just digresses? Like the first one, you're like, oh man, I forgot how good this was, and then uh-huh. the second one, you're like, oh yeah, that's right, and then by the third one, you're like, why did I do this? <laughs> I, I, think I, I think I tried to stop it in the middle, but you guys stopped me from stopping it. <laughs> dude, we uh, or yeah, uh, I'm excited, dude. Like they're coming out with another Matrix, and Keanu Reeves is in it. I'm hoping. I'm just because the that first one was just like so like whoa man are we yeah. living in the matrix? I really hope I really hope this next one is is decent. But if it's you know uh, if the the two sequels are any prelude to this one, then <laughs> we might be let down. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and, and but what's nice there is if we're talking about community, then then that's a good thing. If we're talking about the best use of our time and using it as a tool occasionally, that's a good thing. Maybe the, the key then is to, to set up some boundaries. Here are a few boundaries for me. Here are the, some boundaries that work really well for me. Mm-hmm. Number one, no TV in the bedroom. As I said before, the bed is for two things, neither of which involve channel surfing. Mm-hmm. So get the TV out of the bedroom. That's a great first step. Number two, if you have if you have the extra space for an entertainment room that is separate from your living room mm-hmm. where there's a dedicated space just for your TV, it could be in your basement. It can be 
you know, when I lived in the suburbs, I had an entertainment room and, and that works better than just having it being the focal point of a living room. So if you have that extra space, great. I believe, I don't know if you still do this. I haven't been to your new apartment yet, but hmm. do you still keep your TV in a closet? No. I, okay. Honestly, because the, the place we moved into is like a really minimalist loft uh-huh. <laughs> and it's there's like no room for me right. to stash a tv anywhere well, that was a nice thing when you <clears throat> but i was doing that yeah, yeah. when you live somewhere else apartment. there was uh, you had the opportunity to just put it in a closet and bring it out when you needed it that mm-hmm. that forced you to be a bit more deliberate with it as mm-hmm. well and then um i know i so i went nine years without a tv and you know, bex and i would just watch movies on the computer or whatever and that was a an intentional way to do it. Even when I didn't have yeah. internet at home, I would go somewhere and download the movie onto my iTunes or whatever, and then I could still play it at yeah. home. Yeah, when Mariah and I first moved in together, we did not have a TV. We didn't have internet. And we would literally go to like Redbox or in Missoula, they still have a vid- like a rental place, Mike's yeah. Videos. Uh-huh. Dude, that is like, oh, man, I don't know what it is about that experience, but going in there and like looking at the covers reading the summaries and then like it this is weird too like the disappointment of one of the movies being all rented out even that brings back like some nostalgic memories totally. yeah that there's uh there's a, a tactile experience and it's yeah. a overall it's an immersive experience because mm-hmm. you're effectively doing the same thing when you hop on netflix and, and you're searching through all the, the titles, but it's not the same thing. You don't have to get that visceral, immersive experience. Yeah. But, I mean, you have uh, uh, infinite options there at your fingertips, and they're functionally free if you're paying for the, the Netflix or Hulu or whatever subscription. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, have you seen that David Lynch has a new 17-minute film on Netflix? No. Uh, I think it's called Absurda. I'll have to check it out. I haven't it, even seen the new here's Twin the Peaks thing. yet. It's 17 minutes. It's mm-hmm. black and white. It stars two people. Well, two. Yes. Well, thank two you. Uh, two uh, actors. Two uh, uh, <laughs> David Lynch and a chimpanzee. Okay. And I think it's a chimp. It might be a monkey. Um, and I don't know how to describe it other than well, Bex and I gave it. Well, we're going to give it two minutes. Yeah. I don't know how we we were enthralled the entire way through. We watched the entire thing, and yeah. I'm like, "How did we just watch 17 minutes of that?" Yeah, but that just saying it's David Lynch like gives me an idea of of how and why you can't really explain. Yeah, <laughs> what it is. I got stuck but, in the time. But you know, going back to those those boundaries, though, man. I mean, I think I think that is what uh, when we talk about minimalism and being deliberate. Like that is really what it comes down to. It's, you know, when people hear minimalism, they think monks and stark, stark white walls. Uh, when I saw minimalism, I saw, you know, helping, helping me set boundaries. So yeah, I, I totally agree with the TV. If it's in the living room, great. Like Josh and I aren't going to judge you for that. Um, but yeah, certainly uh, have some boundaries set up around it, yes. especially if you got kids and a family. I mean, cause that's, I remember growing up, man, it was my babysitter. Mm. I mean, it was like, I was glued to it and um, I still have to fight that addiction of, yeah, of I television. Yeah, like still a babysitter now. Yeah, absolutely. To, to, to a great extent. So maybe <clears throat> another boundary is schedule in, in advance. So don't turn on the TV unless you've scheduled, put it on your calendar at least mm-hmm. 24 hours in advance. Mm-hmm. That might give you the opportunity to, to pause and say, hey, there's a better use of this time. Maybe I'm going to sit down and read for an hour instead of watching TV for an hour. Something that's more actively engaged than, than passively yeah. engaged. All right. Jesper says, hey, guys. Hey, I just want to say you're welcome. Uh, thank you. It, uh, 
Oh, what did he say? Uh, uh, it would also be really interesting to hear you interview the author, William B. Irvine. He has written a couple books about stoicism. Sounds familiar. And has been interviewed for Sam Harris's Waking Up app. I've listened to that, and uh, he also lives in Dayton, Ohio. He teaches at uh, Wright State. Oh, cool. And, and so he is probably the leading sort of uh, stoic... Uh, author, author about stoicism. I mean, it, you know, we we know about Ryan Holiday, obviously, but in terms of scholarly writings about stoicism, William I'll Irvine, yeah, Bill, Bill Irvine there in Dayton, uh, he has a couple, I think maybe three books on stoicism, mm. and I just ordered one of them. I, I I started checking it out. So thank you for that recommendation. I'd love to get him on the podcast. So didn't well, you graduate from Wright State, Sean? Yeah, that's what they say. Wright Wright State. Don't what? say it. Wrong university. <laughs> right state, wrong university. That's right. Uh, no, I know a lot of people who graduated from Wright State. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he teaches at Wright State. And uh, well, from what I can tell, his interview with Sam Harris on the Waking Up app was really, really good. So I'm, I'm counting awesome. on his book to, to be good as well. So thank you for that. We can't obviously uh, take everyone's suggestion. And I can't read every book that people suggest. But that is that is definitely a good one. So I took you up on that one. Yvette says, my daughter is 20, oh, this is a, just basically, mostly a comment, but other people will get some value from this in the community. My daughter is 27 months old. Last November, her paternal grandmother sent a picture of a little horse with tires that she planned to give her, but she already had a plane with wheels. It seemed more of, a sh- uh, of the same. I showed the picture to my daughter and asked her what, which one she preferred, if the plane she already had or, or the horse that her grandmother wanted to give her because at home we could not have both since the space is reduced. She understood perfectly and chose the new gift. At that moment, I told her what we, that we should say goodbye to the plane. I explained where it would go with, uh, to another child that has no toys. Mm-hmm. She said goodbye, and I immediately took it out of her play area. On the days that follow Christmas, she was playing with some toys uh, that she was given, and she, uh, she, she pulled a teddy bear and a doll from her toy box and said, they're big and they don't fit. Mm. Can we give these to the kids who don't have toys? <laughs> I have more toys. They don't, mommy. They should have toys. <laughs> I almost cried. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Well, you know, that is the one way to get kids involved is having them contribute because mm-hmm. kids love to contribute. Mm-hmm. In fact, I remember when I was a kid, I was always trying to do something and I would kept being told like, no, you can't pour your own glass of water or no, you can't take out the trap or whatever it is. But, uh, but yeah, if you can tell a kid, yes, as, as often as you can, especially when they're asking to contribute, I mean, that's how you're going to get their buy-in. We, uh, just to get them excited. The, just the other night went to Ben Greenfield's, uh, book launch event for his book, um, boundless. And I'm really excited to, to actually look at that, that book. But he was talking about his two sons. He has two twin boys. They're 11 years old now. Mm-hmm. And he unschools them. And he makes it a point not to tell them no about just about anything. Mm-hmm. When they were really little, uh, you know, if they're getting ready to touch a hot stove, he obviously sure. has to intervene because mm-hmm. it's beyond their comprehension at that point. But even with things like porn, he's, he's, you know, he's like, we're getting ready to be at about that age where instead of making something so taboo that they can't help but seek it out, Mm -hmm. explain what is healthy, what is unhealthy about it, how Mm -hmm. many uh, 
pornography sites objectify women or objectify humans or objectify sex in a way that is unhealthy and unrealistic mm. and explaining that to them and the same with food it's you know it's not you can never ever have gluten the rest of your life it's like well here's actually some of the downsides of gluten let me explain this to you but ultimately you're going to have to make these decisions on your own i'm going to tell you what's good for you what's bad for you uh the appropriate amounts of things to have but ultimately you're going to have to make that decision if i equipped you with if i equipped you with enough information then hopefully you've made the right decision even when i'm not watching yeah and clearly that's happening here with uh, the giving of toys by presenting that example early on also in our new book love people use things that we're working on right now there is a um, chapter about money, our relationship with money. And one of the sections in that chapter is about learning about money when you are a kid. And so you and I have talked to Rachel Cruz a few times, and I was able to get some quotes from her for the book. And the thing that really stands out to me is you know, her dad, Dave Ramsey, mm-hmm. really screwed up when he, she was, her, she's his youngest kid. And so Dave declared bankruptcy when she was six months old Mm. and so you actually would think they were set up she was set up for a world of financial ruin and uh, mismatch and and bad examples to be set because people who declare bankruptcy often declare a second bankruptcy or even if they don't they continue to have money problems even well after bankruptcy the stats are pretty staggering around this and we include some of those stats in the book but there are there are some people who actually course correct after bankruptcy and thankfully for her you know dave ramsey was obviously one of those people and Mm. over the last three decades now has really had his act together so much that he's helped millions of people themselves get out of debt uh, and come out of bankruptcy and and really thrive with money but it really starts when you're a little kid and you know she co-authored a book with dave smart money smart kids and in there she recommends Exactly what you're talking about, Ryan, how uh, kids really love to contribute. So even if a kid earns $5, so she recommends kids don't earn allowance, they earn an income. Mm-hmm. And so they, they they do something and they receive a commission for it. Right. So you wash the dishes, you get a dollar. You fold your laundry, you get a dollar. You make your bed, you get a dollar. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, you're learning early on how to manage money, how to make money, but also how to manage it. And so if you make $10, uh, or you make $5 over the course of a week, $2 goes into your spend envelope, $2 goes into your save envelope, and, and uh, $2, or $1 goes into your give envelope. And and actually, it's in the reverse order, giving first. And, and learning about contribution mm. and, and taking that money and do what you're going to do with it. You're going to contribute some of it, you're going to save some of it, and then you have the opportunity to spend some of it. You actually get to enjoy some of that money as well, so it's not bah humbug. But teaching those, teaching your kids how to contribute early on is critical for their success because, let's face it, you and I weren't taught what to do with money. No. When we were growing up. <laughs> we weren't taught how to contribute, really. No. We weren't, that wasn't modeled for us. Uh, and and so you and I struggled with money throughout our 20s, not because we er, didn't earn good money. We actually earned pretty good money, mm. but we didn't have the, the behaviors there. And so 
setting your kids up with that, even that that really basic envelope system is way better than how what you and I were doing when we were 26 years old. Mm-hmm. I could have benefited from that six-year-old's envelope system. Yeah. In fact, she recommends it as early as age three. So yes, teaching your kids to contribute is, is really critical here. Yeah, what I love about what you're saying too, man, is what you're talking about as well as what uh, Joshua Becker talks about. You know, you don't want to like just tell your kids what they can and can't do but you do want to help them set boundaries. Right. And like that is going to help them be responsible as they get older is helping them set their own boundaries. And they're going to screw up along the way. Right. Because you, you can't set every boundary for them. Cause if you do, it's like placing fencing around them. Once mm-hmm. they get outside of that fencing, they're going to go wild. Yeah. But if you help them build their own fences, so to speak, mm-hmm. create their own boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like, you know, those dogs when you, when you give them the invisible fence and, uh, after a while, even if you take the collar off of them, they they stay within that range yeah. because they've had that 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 boundary set up for them. So what I'm saying is, put an invisible dog collar on your children. <laughs> invisible fence dog collar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Karen says the big move. Hey all, I've been living in small town USA, Wyoming, my whole life. I'm One of my s- favorite towns in Wyoming. <laughs> 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 I've been studying to be a health coach. But I'm starting to realize that I need more a more progressive population if I plan on changing any lives. Mm. Bigger bigger populations equal higher cost of living. How should I go about being smart with my move if a smaller if a smaller home than I have now means higher monthly costs? Hmm. I hate to uproot my life with a move to realize I can't afford it. My current salary is about fifty thousand dollars. Any episodes any podcast episodes I should revisit that discuss money and moving. Well, yeah, we've got a few episodes on that. Yeah. Uh, first off, moving to a bigger city doesn't necessarily mean higher cost of living. That's true. You can move to Dayton, Ohio, and you'll actually probably save money even from small town Wyoming. Move to Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. Right. I mean, there are some affordable big cities to live in. Yeah. Well, you know, she's focusing on being this health coach. I was thinking too, like she has the opportunity to be location independent. For sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's something for her to consider as well. Yeah, and you don't have to, in fact, I would discourage you from starting a brick and mortar business unless you absolutely have to do it, right? Because being location dependent also radically limits the amount of people you can reach. Yeah, and she doesn't want to like take on all that overhead. Like that is such a such a large overhead cost of having a brick and mortar store. Yeah, even us, we, we have this podcast studio, which is inside a co-working space. You know, this space is out, is actually ours. If you're watching this on video, you can you can see the, the podcast studio here. It's fairly simple, but for the first 120 episodes or so maybe, mm-hmm. we basically recorded this in a, uh, a glorified closet right. uh, at the University of Montana's. Uh, they had an entrepreneur basically they had a broom closet in their basement of a former grocery store they turned into a entrepreneur center it was literally an old grocery store that we had this tiny room it was half the size of this yeah but i mean we were so grateful for having that when we had it yeah for sure and but my point is we didn't have to go and say you know what ryan we need we need a hundred thousand dollar recording studio. well you know it's interesting because it did get to a point where we were looking for a studio Uh in missoula and it was really hard to come by and it got to a point where we were like, oh, like if we want a, an actual studio, we're going to have to build it out and it is going to be a huge cost. Right. And uh, yeah, when we moved out to LA, it's like, oh, we've got this. There was a lot of studios to choose from because it's Los Angeles. Right. So there might be a situation where 
you know, this uh, this person Karen. looking. Yeah, Karen. It might be a situation for Karen to move to a city that has more resources for her. So maybe that's what she should be looking at is what like what resources does she need right. and what city is going to provide that for her. That, that, I think that's a good point. And you have to really be honest with yourself, though, about what resources you need because yeah. we can we can justify, I'm going to need this and this we and this. We could have justified this. the studio in Missoula, really. Right, yeah. right. We, we, and, and we could have justified having a, a very elaborate studio here. And what we, what we try to do here is what is sort of what's the lowest common denominator? What is the minimum viable product, so mm -hmm. to speak? Yeah. Uh, so that we can produce really high quality, meaningful creations, podcasts and video here. We don't need all the bells and whistles for that. What, what is the, what are the fundamentals that you absolutely need? And even then question all of those fundamentals mm -hmm. because it probably costs you way less than you actually think. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte says, I'm on the brink of taking my first solo trip on a plane to cool. Las Vegas for, oh. <laughs> for a trade fair at the end of January. I'm from the UK and uh, I haven't been to, the, to America in 10 years. Does anyone have any minimalism tips for air travel or what to do in Las Vegas other than the stereotypical activities? Let me read my response. Now, a bunch of people actually okay. commented here. and That's the, the benefit of this community. She got a bunch of really nice comments from other community members here uh, my tip was big tip when you arrive please know that las vegas is not representative of the rest of this country <laughs> it's like sensory overload man it's basically the dubai of the west yeah. opulence and overindulgence personified that said i hope you enjoy your time in nevada the rest of the state is stunning some of our documentary minimalism was filmed there so yeah. uh, that was my main tip. Other people uh, butted in with their own tips here as well. Ryan, uh, in terms of minimalist packing, we, I mean, we have a, a, obviously a video on our YouTube channel which folks can check out how to pack like a minimalist. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people have watched that. But the tip that's worked well for me is even when you and I went on that 10-month tour, I packed basically a week worth of clothes yeah and that's that's what i learned from that from that tour is if you have a week's worth of clothes uh versus like a week and a half or even two weeks uh if you're going on a long trip it it doesn't make much of a difference beyond that week mm -hmm. and even like uh i'm considering because we have matt diavella's uh wedding to go to mm -hmm. uh this summer and my luggage is limited to weight. Like you can carry a personal item in a carry-on, but like it has to be, you know, 20. I mean, it's like a really low weight because, you know, they just love to get you with whatever fees they can. But I'm considering just bringing like the shirt that I wear and then three extra t-shirts uh -huh. and basically three days worth of clothes. Yeah. And I'll have to do laundry once when I'm there. But that's that's not too difficult to do, man. Like when you are on, uh, when you're traveling, you can always find a place to do laundry. It doesn't take that long and it saves you so much of a headache. I can't tell you how good it feels to not have to check a bag. Hmm. Like being able to get on the plane with a carry-on and not have to worry about sitting at the carousel or the baggage fees or your bag getting lost. There was one time Mariah and I, we were traveling around Europe and we had some issues with our flight. And a long story short, uh, we were able to catch this early flight instead of having to wait for six hours. But the stipulation was is uh, when we were trying to get that booked, they were like, well, if you have any checked bags, this isn't going to work. And we're like, no, we don't have any checked bags. They're like, great. So then we got on the flight and it was great. So uh, I guess my travel tip is don't check a bag. You don't have to. 
And if you're only going to be there for four days, you certainly don't need to check a bag. But I got something to say about Las Vegas, dude. I like Las Vegas. Oh, wow. I used to hate it until I went and did it right. Mm. So uh, my... Showed up with a, a suitcase full of cash. That's right, dude. No. So my um, uh, Mariah and I's really good friends, they go to Vegas once a year mm-hmm. and they go there to like see a show to um, get some good food. And we went with them one year. We went and saw Elton John. Yeah. We went to uh, this Dave Ramsey steakhouse. Um, and it was a wonderful time. Probably not Dave Ramsey. Uh, what did I say? Uh, yeah, not Dave. <laughs> Gordon Ramsey. <laughs> I'm sure Dave Ramsey would enjoy it though. Um, but no, it's, it, yeah, Gordon Ramsey. Thank you. Um, Gordon Ramsey restaurant. But it was a wonderful time, man. Like we went for four days. Yeah. Um, we didn't gamble. Uh-huh. We, we didn't, uh, you know, just hang on on the strip. Uh, Vegas is actually a pretty cool town. Um, mm-hmm. Tony Shea lives there. He's got, uh, Tony Shea, he's the CEO Zappos. of Zappos. Yep. Uh, he's written a few books. Really brilliant guy. He's got a, uh, like a container um, apartment complex or condo complex there. Right. Um, I, I've, I've got a couple of friends. Airstreams, right? Yeah, Airstreams. Uh, yeah, but he also has a container park. Okay. Yeah, he's got another He's got another piece of property with Airstreams on there. My point is, is Las Vegas is very much like Los Angeles in the sense that it has pretty much everything you want. You just have to be very clear on what you want when you go there. And also clear on what you want to avoid because it has more of yeah. what you want to avoid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. It's, it's designed that way, right? Yes. It is. It is actually the least pretentious city in the world, probably, meaning like it wears all... All of its opulence on its sleeve, right? <laughs> right? It is, it is, it is the gold toilet personified. <laughs> that's a really good way. It's a really good way of describing it. And and so you have to know what you're trying to avoid. That that's important there. But then also, uh, oh, and uh, we I forgot to uh, answer. We're going back. Let me just go back real quick. We got to wrap this up anyway. Karen says, are there any? Uh, podcast episode that she should revisit about oh. money and moving yes our podcast episode called moving yep i don't know if that's episode 151 or not but it might be uh, is it just the minimalist.com uh it, well it's what slash podcast oh, you can okay. find it over there yeah yeah and so uh the minimalist.com slash actually uh, sean might be able to put that in in the show notes it's the 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 title of it's moving and in terms of money yes we have a few uh check out the one called uh budgeting Check out the one called Money and check out the three episodes that we've done with uh, Rachel Cruz, Anthony O'Neill, and Chris Hogan. Yeah. Uh, All of those will help you out a lot in terms of money and budgeting. And if you need a budgeting app, I highly encourage you to check out Every Dollar. Dude, it's so good. I'm actually thinking there's a pro version of it that I didn't really see why I would need it. It's like three bucks a month, right? Yeah, it's not bad at all. But the what it does is it basically takes all your transactions and puts them into a queue. Right. And then you just drag the transactions to where it is in the budget. Mm-hmm. We're right now with the free version. You just have to like manually enter everything. Yeah. But I think the pro one automatically starts sorting them too. I'm not positive about that, but yeah, I think it, you can set up. You sorts. Can, yeah. You can set up sorting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's a really good app. <clears throat> so I, th- I think that'll help you out. Good luck in Las Vegas. Yes. Charlotte. I hope you, I hope you enjoy your time in, in the United States. and uh, She will, as long as she's intentional with her visit to Vegas. Yes, indeed. She's going to love it. I would recommend uh, looking up just w- what do you like? What do you want to do when you're there? So you can look up some shows. You can look up some restaurants. There's hiking. Hiking. Yeah, there's amazing sights to see. 
So get clear on what you want to do when you get there. If you go there without a plan, you're probably going to be overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. Right. And you'll stumble into the things you actually don't want to do. Right. She's just going to be at the roulette table the whole time. <laughs> All right, patrons. Thank you so much. Yes. This has been Ask the Minimalists number 30. We'll get back to the regular questions uh, next month. I just wanted to highlight the, the community tab. If you want to interact with your fellow 5,000 or so patrons or however many patrons there are these days, you can hop in there, patreon.com slash the minimalist, click on the community tab, say hi to the folks over there, interact, uh, post on other people's or comment on other people's posts as well. Be part of the community if you'd like. All right, y'all. Love people use things. Thank you so much for your support, y'all. See ya. The minimalists.